listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. Trinity Church Chester is a new church seeking to reach the city with the good news of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of our ministry is our Sunday worship service, in which we hear a sermon preached from a particular part of the Bible. We're glad you're listening. We'd love to see you in person at the Welsh Presbyterian Church Building on St. John Street in the city centre. We meet there every Sunday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you can find more details on our website trinitychester.church Come and join us as we seek to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The record there. It can go on here, it actually. Yeah? Probably probably a bit better. What do you think? Yeah, that's alright. Try and knock it off. <laughs> Okay, well, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for coming. And we'll begin with a moment of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to meet together freely, to study your word. And we pray that you would guide us uh, through your Holy Spirit and your word. Uh, Open our eyes and our hearts so that we may love our Lord Jesus more and serve him better. In the name uh, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, Daniel asked me to do six studies on union with Christ and uh, these studies will probably be about 35 minutes each and a question time following if you have any questions. Meanwhile, while I'm presenting the subject, if there's anything I say which isn't clear to you, don't hesitate to put up your hand and ask me. Because if it's not clear to you, it's no doubt not clear to most people. So, uh, here are the six studies we'll propose. First of all, uh, this afternoon, an introduction uh, generally to the subject of union with Christ. Then, next week, Christ's union with us. That's the second subject. Then we'll move through the order of salvation. Thirdly, regeneration uh, and new birth. Fourthly, union with Christ and justification. Uh, Fifthly, union with Christ and sanctification. Now, we won't be speaking about union with Christ Uh, generally in relation to these subjects, but the link between uh, union with Christ and these subjects. Then, uh, finally, union with Christ and uh, glorification. So, uh, we're going to move through the Christian order of salvation from its beginning to the end in the light of union with Christ. 
So uh, now an introduction to the introduction. Uh, some general comments, two or three, simply. Uh, first of all, um, the subject is about as broad as you can get, and it includes everyone. Uh, and it has three aspects, basically. First of all, there's union in Adam. This concerns the whole human race as being one in Adam in the creation. And that unity of humanity uh, was lost uh, by man's rebellion. But human beings remain in Adam. Everyone today is still part of the human race, which Adam is the origin. But to counter the rebellion, we have the promises given to Abraham uh, concerning the land. So the second aspect of the subject in is in the land. And if you read the uh, book of Deuteronomy, for instance, it's repeated again and again, in the land, when you are in the land, when you will be in the land. So, in the land becomes the saving experience of the people of God with blessing because they are in the land. And they received the promise of a universal inheritance. The promise they received, which fulfills Abraham's promise, is not simply for them as a nation, but it's that all the world will be blessed in you which is the promise to Abraham, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And that blessing is, first of all, realized in the land, when the promises to Abraham are fulfilled. Now, we see, uh, basically, that in Adam there is a material and a spiritual union of all humanity with the first man, and now there is a material and spiritual unity of the people in the land. But the accent here is on the material to begin with. And then thirdly, <coughs> there's in Christ. The in the land falls off when Christ comes and realizes all the promises that were given to Israel in a spiritual way. And this spiritual realization creates a new humanity which is one in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Christ counters the loss through the fall in Adam and fulfills what's promised to Israel in a spiritual way. So we no longer have a material promise of a land. However, this spiritual promise 
of uniting people in Christ looks forward to a new creation altogether at the end in which total unity of the universe will be restored. So, once we're in Christ but we're waiting for a new future, a new creation in him which will fulfill uh, the promise that we have today. So um, that's the broad, broad perspective. Now, uh, a second aspect of the introduction to the introduction might be uh, why was the doctrine of union with Christ, you know the words union with Christ aren't in the Bible at all, so basically we're dealing with a theological model which explains certain texts of scripture in a satisfying way. And this expression, union with Christ, if you know your history, uh, only came to the fore in the 17th century with the rise of covenant theology uh, in the Protestant context. However, it was obvious that the Church Fathers, Augustine, Aquinas, uh, and Calvin, uh, all knew about union with Christ. And it became more central uh, with uh, Calvin's work and was taken up by Calvin's <laughs> followers and developed in the following century uh, in linking up as uh, explained in Romans 8, uh, 28 and 29, uh, the different aspects of salvation and relating them all to Christ. So union with Christ concerns the order of salvation, and that's what we'll be looking at progressively. Uh, of course, people knew this teaching uh, very well uh, before, but it was with the 17th century Protestant reform thinking, you find it first of all in the Heidelberg Catechism as well, later in the Westminster Confession, it's expressed by people like John Owen uh, and uh, uh, Perkins. Uh, uh, these people make a theology of union with Christ and in this the idea of the mediator, Christ the mediator, becomes central. So that's a little the history of why this doctrine came to uh, prominence at this time. It's when Calvin uh, uh, influ uh, insisted on the personal character of salvation that these categories were developed to uh, deepen the understanding of the personal nature of salvation. You know, it's been said that Thomas Aquinas's thought was an essentialism uh, in the metaphysical sense, and that has its value. But at the time of the Reformation, Luther replaced the essentialism, the metaphysics, with a personal aspect. And Calvin took this over, developed the doctrine of the mediator, and the doctrine of the mediator became the foundation of union with Christ. Okay? 
So that's where we get the doctrine that's developed from. And we'll come back to this in a later study, but one of the big passages in Calvin is where he's talking about the two graces. Now, there are three graces that appear ahead, but there's only two graces in Calvin. You know, the three graces that appear ahead in Liverpool are the buildings, hmm? the three buildings on the front. The two graces in Calvin are justification and sanctification. And these are the two pillars of the Christian life. But Calvin relates both of these to possessing Christ. And he says, above all, possess Christ, lay hold on Christ. And justification and sanctification explain what it means to lay hold on Christ. So you have a triangle with Christ at the apex and then justification and sanctification. Calvin says it doesn't matter which you discuss first. Uh, Luther always put justification very prominently and sanctification kind of disappeared into the background with Luther. But Calvin, in his Institutes, uh, discusses sanctification at length uh, before actually uh, deepening the doctrine of justification. But the two of them go together. And so justification, sanctification, when you fit in new birth at the beginning and behind that eternal election and then uh, glorification after sanctification and the new creation, there you have union with Christ uh, as a global uh, perspective uh, on the Christian life. So uh, that explains a bit why the, doc the doctrine of union with Christ became important uh, at the time of the Reformation. It was to show the personal aspect uh, of salvation. And um, uh, this means that our story, <clears throat> you know, everyone today uh, has a story. And uh, online uh, influencers are always preventing, always presenting their story. This is my story, and my story is always wonderful. Isn't never any real problems in my story, you know. Uh, this is about success and having a fine image. Um, <clears throat> Union with Christ tells us that our story is not generated by ourself, but our story is generated by the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So our story as Christian believers is closely linked to the Lord Jesus Christ and his story in such a way that his story becomes our story. And this gives us a totally different perspective on life uh, to the people uh, living around us who are very much concerned by saying, you know, this is my story. So our story is Christ's story. And union with Christ is 
about being part of a history with the Lord Jesus, learning to live out life with the Lord Jesus. And also, we don't do that alone. We do it with others. So it's about living your life with Christ and living your life with those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that makes you part of a new people who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the same bond that unites us to the Lord Jesus unites us to other people. So this bond is important. And a Christian can say, my name is Bond Jesus Christ. Because we are in Christ, new creatures. So, that's basically the introduction. There's a lot more that could be said. But uh, now we move on to three points, uh, which will be uh, basically the three major points this afternoon. Um, first of all, we'll speak about perspectives. Then we'll talk about the nature of the union with Jesus Christ and then we'll talk about two aspects of union with Christ. So, first of all, perspectives of union with Christ. Secondly, the nature of union with Christ. And thirdly, aspects of union with Christ. Two aspects in particular. And, you know, this is just the aperitif or uh, the entree, as they say, uh, we'll be coming back to these major points uh, all through uh, the following uh, sessions. But um, first of all, let's talk about perspectives of union with Christ. Uh, we are all some way in. We are all some way in. Um, in the past... And the three perspectives of past, present, and future, obviously. In the past, we are all in Adam. Everyone is in Adam. Romans 5.12, 1 Corinthians 15.22. As in Adam, all die. And this is universal human experience. People may not recognize they're in Adam, but they are in Adam. And as we are in Adam, uh, sinfulness reigns in our mortal bodies and souls. As in Adam, all die. Uh, this is what the Apostle Paul calls the old man, the old creation. He resumes this in one word, sin, uh, the flesh. Uh, the body of sin. And he also resumes this with the expression of being under the law as the condemning principle in one's conscience when one is in Adam. In Adam, we are all fleshly. We are all uh, living in and through and out of sin. We are all living under the law. And uh, this determines our global 
perspective on life, the, what we are, and the way we act. So that is everyone's past, uh, uh, even the past of believers. Hmm? Now, looking to the future, uh, the future is the heavenly hope. And uh, the heavenly hope is to be conformed to the Lord Jesus uh, in a total way, uh, in a total union or likeness with him. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. We can't read the whole of the passage, 42 to 48 here, but we can just uh, focus on verse 48, which resumes the lot. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now, that is our future. We bear, all of us, the image of the man of dust, the fallen Adam. We are creatures made in the image of God, but fallen. But the apostle says, we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. That is the resurrected, the glorified image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are being conformed to Christ as believers in the presence, but what we hope for isn't yet. What we hope for is that future new creation in Christ which we call glorification. One day we will be like him. We're not like him yet, but one day we will be like him because we will be resurrected uh, to be as he is uh, in the uh, new glorious creation. Um, the total union with the Lord Jesus Christ will be a union uh, in holiness, in complete uh, holiness. Um, Abraham Kuyper speaks about the four states of human nature. There's uh, the created state in which man is created in righteousness, truth and the knowledge of God. Then there's the fallen state, the state of sin. There's the renewed state in Christ, that's the third state. And the third state of human nature, we are being made new in the Lord Jesus, but we still are carrying around these bodies of death. Huh? And the final state is the glorified state, uh, union with Christ uh, in complete holiness in the new creation. And we can't go into that today. Maybe when we talk about glorification, we'll speak about it. But I believe that new creation is not floating around on clouds, but it is a new creation in which we will receive a new humanity and a new calling to glorify God. So we seek to live for God's glory now, but in the future, uh, that will be 
in a way which surpasses all our understanding of presence. So, there we go. Uh, the past and the future, but the present. The present for the believer is union with Christ. And all aspects of our salvation and living are now connected with the Lord Jesus. Let's just look at, very quickly, Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 says, uh, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, this mortal body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, the expression in Christ is not used there, but the expression living by faith in the Son of God. Huh? Uh, the life in Christ is the life lived out by faith, which means it has a beginning in regeneration. It has an aspect in justification, which is fundamental, progress in sanctification, and a terminus in glorification. So that's what's going on at present. We're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, a process which is ongoing and not always easy for us. Now, the second big point uh, after the perspectives, past, present, and future, is uh, the nature of union with Christ, the nature of it. How does the Bible help us to understand union with Christ, uh, what it is? Now, we can tackle that question by saying that the covenant is a bond between two parties. Uh, and in Christ expresses that bond or union. So union with Christ is not about the Lord Jesus himself, nor about me in and of myself, but it's about the link between the Lord Jesus and me. What is the bond that ties us together, which makes us one, with him and one with another. It's the bond which makes us glue together, which expresses solidarity with him from our behalf and expresses also his solidarity with us on his behalf. So we're talking about the link between Christ and me, between what he is and what I am uh, as a believer in him and someone who seeks to live uh, to honour his name. Now that bond has been described in various ways. Yeah? Uh, it's nature. What's the nature of the bond? What makes it particular? What characterises it? Well, it's uh, a bond of life. Uh, the life I now live, I live through Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. So I don't just consider my life as being something which is breathing and heart beating. Life is much broader than that. Life 
in a spiritual profound sense is Christ's life living in me through faith in him. The way Christ lives in me is through faith that is formed in me that I exercise in him. It's that faith which links me to him. So it's a union of life. It's a, a, a vital union, the old Reformed theologians say. Now, if you read Louis Berkhoff, you'll see Louis Berkhoff speaks about a vital union, but also about a mystical union. Uh, that is, it's something which is mystical in terms of the mystery of salvation. We're uh, tied in with the mystery of salvation through faith in Christ, as salvation is ongoing and realised. It's a spiritual union. That is, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And we'll come back to that just a bit later, because uh, the bond between the Lord Jesus and me is made by the Holy Spirit working in my life and working faith uh, and trust in Christ in me. Uh, it's a personal bond. You don't get it through your family. You don't get it through your wife or your husband. It's your personal bond uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ that ties you to him. And it's a saving bond. Uh, this is something which is saving for you. This link which makes you one with Christ is also the link which constitutes your salvation. So, union with Christ is a living relationship. It's mystical in terms that your participation in the mystery of salvation, it's a spiritual reality. No one can see it, but we know it's there. And it's a personal reality concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and you, so it's very intimate and it's a saving reality. Now, they're the categories that theologians use to describe union with Christ. Uh, however, you know, the Bible uh, uh, is much more direct and simple and lively than the categories that theologians use to analyze these things. And uh, evidently, union with Christ, uh, used almost 200 times by the Apostle Paul, uh, over 200 times, I think, by the Apostle Paul, uh, in Christ, uh, used 17 times, I think, in John, um, expresses this theological idea uh, in a more direct way by saying we are in Christ. But the Bible is a lot more lively even than that uh, because it uses a lot of images to describe union with Christ. Now, uh, a lot of images or metaphors or living examples to describe union with Christ because, uh, you know, we're slow of understanding and these images... These pictures help us to understand what union with Christ is, sometimes a lot better than the theological categories. Huh? Now, 
Can anyone think of any biblical image of union with Christ? Hmm? Okay. The vine? Yes, that's the one that springs to memory. That's number one on my list here. The vine and the branches. John 15. Anyone think of anything else in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans? Which is like a vine, really? Our root is Abraham, and a tree grows from Abraham. And what is the tree called? An olive tree. An olive tree. The olive tree. Well... I lived in the south of France and I knew people who grew vines and a lot about wine production as well. I came to be a bit of an expert on uh, wine production. And you know, you don't get fruit from a vine unless it's grafted. That means a wild shoot has to be taken and grafted into the vine. And the sap flows from the vine into the wild shoots, and only then will the vine produce fruit. And of course, the grafting is a cutting, and the disciples understood this very well. And they knew that it was about the cutting of the Lord Jesus and them being tied into his death and resurrection. That's what they came to realize. So... Yeah, um, the olive tree. Uh, there's another very famous one that we, we know very, very well. It's so obvious that everyone knows it and you'll all fall off your seats when... Yeah, any ideas? Another image of union with Christ? Ephesians 5, 4 and 5? Hmm? Yeah. The body of Christ. The body of Christ, yes. The body of Christ, uh, the head and the body. Hmm? Um, the body directed by the head. Uh, the body lives because of the head. Uh, I wasn't thinking of that one just at that point. I was thinking of another one. Marriage, Marriage yes. Husband and wife. There you go. Um, all of these things describe uh, union with Christ. Here's another one, which you think of uh, less often. Seed of Abraham. That expresses union with Christ. And another one, the priest and the people. Priest represents uh, the people, and the people are represented by the priest in Galatians 3, uh, 16, we have, um, and in Galatians 3, 26, uh, we have son and sons. Hmm? And so uh, all these examples uh, indicate that there's a living relationship involved here. Life flows into us. We receive nourishment from Christ and we produce fruit as the life of Christ flows into us. And when we think of that famous vine and branches in the Gospel of John, uh, the Lord Jesus speaks to the disciples together. Abide in me, uh, 
this reflects uh, the love of the Father abiding in us as we abide in the Son. Abide in me as I in you and you will produce much fruit. That's union with Christ, the vine and the branches. But he's saying it to all the disciples. What he's saying is abide in me together and you will produce much fruit. Abide in, with me in my truth. Abide in me with my life together, in my communion together, and you will produce much fruit. So the abiding uh, reflects uh, the love of the Son for the Father and the Father for the Son. Okay, so we'll move on to the next point very quickly. Uh, the two aspects of union with Christ. What does it mean? Uh, the two aspects. How does Jesus save us? Uh, union with Christ describes that. And it describes it with two aspects. Uh, one, representatively or legally. Uh, that is, all that Jesus is, he is on our behalf from eternity to eternity. And Jesus is our representative legally because he's named by the Father to be our representative. So, uh, someone like John Frame will answer the question, how is an unbeliever already in Christ? You know, before you became a Christian, you were already in Christ. Well, you were in Christ not actually, but you were in Christ legally, representatively, because from eternity past, the Lord Jesus was elect for you as your representative. And so even before you believed, you were in a sense in Christ. And you had to be really transformed to recognise the reality of that representation of Christ for you. And when you became a believer, then the second aspect of union with Christ came in. That is the living relationship with two sides. Uh, it concerns all of Jesus and all of our persons. All that Jesus is and all that Jesus has done concerns all of us as persons. So we belong, uh, body and soul, to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Heidelberg Catechism question one, of course. And so you have union with Christ in this living way. Uh, the representative aspect is eternal. It's uh, beyond uh, our knowledge, uh, but it's in Christ eternally with the Father hidden in the heavens. But uh, personally, we come to know Christ by a living relationship which has two sides. The Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus and it's in this unity, it's from Jesus to us. Hmm? All that Jesus has belongs to us because he unites himself to us. John chapter 14 Verse 20. Uh, we'll just uh, 
refer to one text here, John 14. When I find it, there, verse 20. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. And what is that day Jesus is talking about? Well, if you read John 14 further, it's the coming of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus comes through us through the Holy Spirit in calling and dwelling in us and making us one with the Lord Jesus. This is the hidden work of the Holy Spirit which unites us to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in faith. See 1 Corinthians 6, 17-20 here. So Jesus unites himself to us by giving us the other comforter, my Holy Spirit who will be with you forever. And Jesus is tied, related to us in that uh, bond which is inseparable because this is the love of the Father in Christ for us. Huh? So Christ is tied to us. It's from Jesus to us. But it's from us to Jesus as well. Because we receive him by faith and live a new life in him by faith. So it's from us to Jesus. And in the New Testament, we believe into Christ. We believe in union with Christ. And we become one with Christ uh, by believing. Ephesians 3, 17. I'll just read that, uh, that passage. Ephesians 3, 17. Yeah. Where uh, talks about be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And you, when Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses all understanding. Ephesians 3.17. So the presence of the Spirit in us is from us to him. When Christ dwells in us, uh, then we believe into Christ and we are united uh, with him through faith. Well, Two comments in uh, closing, which I could have uh, developed more. Um, how do we live union with Christ? Well, you believe in Christ and in the gospel. You believe it to be true in all its aspects. The gospel brings Jesus to us and we receive Jesus himself. And so we keep looking to him. Union with Christ means we desire Christ and his salvation between all things, and we believe. Uh, believing is living off Jesus, just as much as eating and drinking materially is living off what comes from the supermarket. Uh, living off Jesus 
is spiritually is receiving our spiritual nourishment from him. So there we are, quarter to three, a little longer than I thought, but perhaps you have one or two questions, but all these subjects will be developing a little more uh, as we dig into the subject deeper in future weeks. Right, um, has anyone got any questions? Yeah? So, what is it like for somebody to get the union of Christ like, really wrong? Like, what's, what's like a position they might take from getting the doctrine of union with Christ wrong? Yes, well, I think the biggest problem with getting the union with Christ wrong is making it depend on what you do. It's forgetting the nature of the bond. In other words, we find it much easier to talk about our experience of Christ in an internal sense. Uh, I believe with Jesus, I'm walking with Jesus, I am doing this and that and that. Uh, in other words, we find it easier to express union with Christ in terms merely of what we do rather than linking it with what Christ has done for us and that's the foundation of everything what Christ has done for us all of that we replicate it hmm? so the faith we have is the faith of the Lord Jesus that we receive by the Holy Spirit the walking with Christ is walking in Christ with him uh, the progress uh, in Christ represents uh, our struggle against sin, just as Christ struggled against sin and defeated the devil and temptation. So we do that because Christ has done it, and everything Christ has belongs to us. Uh, that's the center of union of Christ, uh, with Christ. All that Christ is and all that belongs to Christ becomes mine by faith in him and through this union I have with him. So it's not just what I've done to believe in Christ. Uh, it's what Christ has done to save me and what I do in reply to that. So we're talking about the union, not just my experience and uh, what I've done or believed or known. Okay? Okay, I think I can let you go with that. Um. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to you. If you'd like to know more about the Christian faith and what it means to live as a Christian, please do get in touch. You can email hello at trinitychester.church or head to the Connect page on our website, trinitychester.church forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you soon.